Hey, it's Andy. Quick show update. Ari has some flight issues, so couldn't join the show for today, but we'll have him back on Tuesday. And trust me, it'll be a good one because I got a text over the weekend. I watched this Manti Teo doc on a plane and we got to talk about it. And I watched it too. And yeah, we got to talk about it. But we do have a great episode for you today. The most interesting walk-on football player in America, Grant Furking. He's a wide receiver at Tennessee. He's also the CEO of his own company. He's also a guy who helps his teammates do NIL deals and also handles part of the NIL business at On3, which is another site that covers college football. I don't know how the man sleeps, but he is incredible, insightful, and it's just a really fun conversation with a guy who was probably smarter at 15 than I will ever be in my entire life. So enjoy the show. Here's Grant Furking, the most interesting walk-on in America. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show presented by Sling. We have a very special guest today, and it is a person who makes me feel like an absolute failure because I remember when I was in college. And I thought I did some stuff. I I walked onto a football team. I did some some writing for newspapers. Uh, made a little bit of money. Bought you know, enough to buy a keg or two. Uh, <laughs> this guy is now in his sixth year as a walk on wide receiver at Tennessee. He's been the CEO of his own landscaping company, and we're not talking about the the kids who walk around the neighborhood and mow the lawn. We're talking about real deal trucks. Dozens of employees, all of it. And he's now helping people break into the NIL, NIL space. Grant Furking, welcome. Andy, thanks for having me on, brother. You, uh, th- Thanks for the list of accolades, man. I-, I can't believe I'm still playing while doing all those things. But but here we are, brother. About to kick it I, off here in two weeks. I can't believe you're doing any of this. Because first of all, let, we'll, we'll start. Re- long-time readers of The Athletic probably read David Oven's story about you a few years ago about your company, which you provide pine straw to institute like large institutions. Like you, if you are a, a large university and you want to buy tons of pine straw for landscape landscaping purposes, you're the guy they go to. And you started yeah. this company when you were 15. Most people with the <laughs> one, you know, starting the successful company would be like, screw it. I'm not going to college. I'm not going to play football. I'm just going to go. I'm going to, I got a job. I'm just going to make some money. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's wild because, um, you know, I was, I was 15 years old. I'm the youngest of four and all my older siblings went and played a college sport as well. And so I knew that's, you know, the the route I wanted to go, where I was going to go, what sport it was going to be. I was between football and basketball, um, and kind of at what level was kind of all up in the air. Um, and my dad had told all of us kids, he was like, you guys are either going to go play a sport and you'll walk on, you'll get a scholarship, you know, you're going to do that or you're going to go and you're going to have a full-time job and you're going to work. You know, you're not just going to be a, a, a lousy kid that sits around at the frat house all day and, you know, doesn't do a thing. And so, uh, you know, I started thinking at 15 years old, I was like, man, you know, what do I want to do with, you know, my remaining years in high school? And then eventually when I get to college. And I was like, man, you know, I, I really do want to play a sport. You know, I'm so, you know, consumed by it with travel ball. And, you know, I went to a smaller private school in Atlanta. So, you know, you're playing three sports. You're trying to be involved in everything. And I was like, man, I really want to, you know, make money, like real money. I don't want to go and just get a minimum wage job, you know, d- be a lifeguard or, you know. Hey, former wet wild lifeguard here. Right, exactly. Best two summers Absolutely. of my life. And, and I and I love it. But I was like, man, like I want to, I want to make 
real money and yeah, also I made 475 an hour. So exactly, you made the right, right choice. <laughs> but I was like, man, I want to, I want to keep playing ball and like, you know, go to school and do it and all those things. And so, you know, I go to my dad and he's like, you can, you can absolutely get a job, you know, where and how much you're going to be making is, you know, all up to, you know, what you kind of land. And I was like, no dad, like I want to start my own deal. And, you know, at 15 years old, you know, I will, I will be the first to tell you that every single force is against you when you're trying to start a company at 15 years old. I mean, opening a bank account, you know, I can't even drive yet, you know, and then you're going to get insurance and all these things you're doing at 15 years old, like seriously, <clears throat> especially when you're trying to break into a space and, and disrupt it, like every force is against you, you know, coming from every angle. And so my dad's like, you know, son, you know, you can be an entrepreneur. It's not going to be easy. You know, I'll help you, you know, get it off the ground. And, and he's done so every, every step of the way. And, you know, still is my biggest mentor. Um, you know, and we truly did start as, like you said, you know, putting flyers in mailboxes, word of mouth. I couldn't even drive yet. I'm sitting, you know, sitting shotgun, you know, with my bud who, you know, was helping me, you know, do whatever we were doing back in 2015. And, you know, it, it just rolled on and rolled on and rolled how, how on. And we did that. The, the idea for that, well, of, you know, we, saw, we, you know, I went to it, like I said, a small private school in Atlanta and I went to our director of grounds one day and, you know, our school took all that. So it was their field of the year. They took all that stuff so seriously. And, he was like, man, like if you want to get into the space, you know, you could lift a lot of burden off the existing people in the industry. If you could find a niche and they could, you know, sub out a good portion of work to, you know, labor is always going to be an issue. Right. And then if they can find a way to still make a margin on something while, you know, having a sub do it, basically, then you can make a boatload of money, but you got to focus on, you know, one niche you want to do. You can do, you know, sprinklers, you could do flowers, you can do pine straw and mulch. And I was like, man, let's do pine straw and mulch. Every, every property needs it residential and commercial. They usually do it twice a year, you know, when it rains and, you know, just over time it wears down and those two things always happen. Right. So you're always going to need, you know, I, 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 get, I was like, I get 13 cubic yards dumped on my driveway every year there go. and I go spread it. Yep. Exactly. And, and your, and your back yells at you for weeks after I'm sure. Oh yeah. And, and so, so how did it, how did it take off? And, and at what point you're still in high school and this business yeah. is expanding. So like literally we went out throughout the summer, you know, making a, you know, a couple thousand bucks, whatever we made um, revenue. And I'm like, man, like we are growing to the point where like I'm getting calls every day. You know, I'm three, four weeks booked out and I have school starting next week. And I'm like, holy cow, like where do we go from here? I've, you know, this you're talking about summer. We're rolling right into the fall. It's football season. I'm like, I got to go find someone to, you know, do these jobs and stuff while I'm in school. So I went out and found a guy and he basically ran the show. You know, we all had, you know, laptops that we had sit on at school all day that we could take to classes. So I was able to, you know, do emails and do all that stuff throughout the day. All of our customers, you know, not having one clue that I'm 15 years old, you know, sophomore in high school <laughs> sitting in a, you know, a, a intro to Spanish class. Right. And so I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, like cranking it out. And this guy's like, man, you know, just crush this job. This job's done. Customer's saying it looks great. I just passed your name along to whatever. So we do all that stuff. And then I land my first like big job. You know, you have that time of business where you're like, man, like I just got something really cool. And, and you know, it's going to be a, you know, a big chunk of money right here. And that was the school that I was at. You know, it was, you know, a, a, a five figure contract. And I thought I had, you know, landed on the moon. 
and you know crushed it and then you know the landscape so wait, 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 was, if you're if you're dealing with this on your laptop in class and and, and a teacher comes up to you are, are you like oh i'm sorry i'm working out the details of my of the contract with with the school well you know I, right at now. that age i thought i could like teach every class at this point <laughs> you know i mean i thought i was like you know the the professor of the the of every i had my doctor i mean i was doing everything right and so it uh you know i i, I had a landscape co- company come to me as like man you know, I hear you're doing great work. You know, we'd like to sub out every single one of our jobs to you across the Southeast. And I'm like, holy cow, I don't know if we can handle that. Um, but it got to the point where the guy I had running it had a, had a ton of guys. He ended up bringing on, he brought on like five to 10 guys. And so by the time I was done, you know, graduating high school, ready to come up, you know, to Knoxville to come play football here, you know, we were doing, you know, half a million dollars in revenue. And that's then, and, you know, had, you know, two dozen employees, you know, just spreading straw and mulch. And by that point, like we were doing that revenue. And honestly, I was turning away probably another half million dollars a year in revenue. And I was like, man, how do I grow this thing? I thought it was hard doing it as a high school student when I was actually there in Atlanta. And I'm about to keep this thing going while I'm a couple hundred miles away from home playing football at an SEC school. Right. And so then it's like the next hurdle you have to tackle on. And, and so and you can't and you can't just go tell Butch Jones, hey, I might have to miss practice one day because one of my trucks got stuck on the interstate. Like it doesn't right. work that I, way. I, and that's it. Like I would seriously come out of practice, and I still do this day. But like I'd come out of practice to, I mean, fifty calls and three hundred messages, just like you know, hey, this happened, or hey, do you approve that? And it's like all those things that you know every business owner goes through, but they're actually there and like able to respond to. It. I'm you know, literally don't have my phone and have shoulder pads and a helmet on, you know, going through period 13 of team run. It's just, it was just so unique of like the situations I would get put in. Um, but, you know, by the time I got here to Knoxville, uh, you know, we were doing a million dollars in revenue. You know, I was like, man, we're growing in Atlanta. And so then I started dipping in the national market and Charlotte, Birmingham. And, you know, here we are today all over the Southeast. And so you're still playing football though. I, that's the thing, because Having lived the life of an SEC walk-on, it's not the most glamorous thing in the world. It's not glamorous no, at all. At all. Why, why, why do you still put yourself through this every day? You know, the, and it's kind of twofold. You know, being a walk-on, and, and you know as well, teaches you so many life lessons. Football does in general. But being a walk-on and, you know, putting in that hard work when nobody expects anything out of you, you know, it truly is, you know, everything is earned and like literally not one thing is given to you. Right. Um, and it's so self-satisfying, you know, when you, you know, you, you reap those benefits and you reap the fruit of your labor when you go through it. And every year that you do it, you know, I, I feel more appreciation of it. You know, when I was going through it and it was four years, I'm like, man, you know, I'm going to be a, a four year guy, graduated, played ball. And I was like, man, do I really want to do this for another year? And that was, you know, talking about going into last season when I was going to my fifth year. Your third third head coach at that point. Third head coach, fifth, you know, I'm now my fifth position coach, fourth OC. Like I've been through all the ups and downs here. And I talked to my parents, all my siblings. So I I mentioned played ball and they were like, Grant, you have, you know, this period in your life to take advantage of, you know, playing a college sport. And you're doing it at the highest level, at, you know, one of the most historic universities, especially with football in the country. They're like, when, when you hang it up, 
it's done, especially in football. There's no more, you know, going and playing pickup ball with your friends, you know, on, on Thanksgiving morning and, you know, enjoying like once you hang up football, there's no more putting the pads on ever again. And I sat there, I'm like, you know what? I had the same conversation when I was going into college, graduating high school. And I went to my parents. I was like, you know, do I actually want to go to college? Like I have this business right here and I'm going to go to school, study business and hopefully go open something up. I'm doing it right now. And they told me the same thing. They said, Grant, you have one opportunity in your life to go play college football and you need to take advantage of that. And so I sat there, I'm like, man, you know, I haven't, I have, you know, two years of eligibility left. Let's go into the last year, COVID year and a red shirt year. And, you know, I could not be more happy that I made that decision. A, with, with the, you know, the, the, future of our program, you know, the, the, the present of it right now with coach Heifel and the culture he's built. And then, you know, more importantly, I've been able to take all those years of business and, you know, all my experiences. And now I'm able to relate it to, you know, the new era we're living in with name, image, and likeness to, you know, benefit myself, benefit athletes. And then I've, you know, taken on a whole nother role to, to take up more of my time with, uh, with on three and NIL. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying, or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Yeah, I was gonna say you got the on three gig with that, where you're, you're look, you're talking nil. You're, you're. I mean, you're kind of the nil expert, and really, there's not a better expert in the country because you've got teammates who are making deals. Yeah, you can make deals. Uh, you're you're seeing this from every level. Uh, you helped create I, what I think maybe the. Uh, you call it the most fan-friendly NIL deal in the country. I just call it the the tastiest. So Moon, <laughs> Moonshine Mountain Cookie Company in Knoxville, which, I mean, these cookies are insanely good. I had a couple in, in so April good. when I was up there. Uh, you, was it Elante Taylor was the, the you made yeah. the deal with last year where if he intercepted a pass, everybody who had a, what, everybody had a ticket stub or everybody just came in and got two, two free tickets? You didn't have to be a ball fan. You could, we could have been playing oh. Kentucky and you're a Kentucky fan and you could, I mean, it was every, everybody gets two free cookies. What a deal. Cause the way it works is like all the, the way all the NIL laws are structured, they're all different from state to state, but almost all of them have a component that says it can't be pay for play. So like, and that, way, lot, that was the first call that I got when he had gotten intercepted. Yep. It was in the first three games of the season. Yeah. Uh, Monday after they're like, you know, are you, are you incentivizing him that he gets rewarded if he gets interception? And, you know, he it, it didn't matter. He got, you know, paid for the social right. posts he would do promoting it. You're like, we're before. incentivizing the cookie eater, not, exactly. not the player. <laughs> That's it. That's it. And it was just such a cool deal because, like, he would embrace it so much. It would be, you know, a, a 3.30 kickoff. He'd get an interception. It would be a home game. You know, instead of going out, you know, with his family or, you know, with his friends or going out of the town, like, he would actually go to the store and this wasn't in the contract. This wasn't in agreement. <laughs> they would go there and there would be a line out the door 
and he would be there, you know, signing autographs, taking pictures with the co- like. It was phenomenal. And, well, and if, I mean, if the, I got if I got a free Barry White, which is the strawberries, yeah. cream cheese, and white chocolate one, because yeah. of Alante, like I would hug him. Yes, <laughs> yes. Incri- but and but it, it was is- just it, it was surreal. Like I remember um, coming out after a game, and we were on. It was a CBS game, I think three thirty, and they're like, you know, they just had cookies. Brad Nestler and Gary had cookies up in the box, and were eating <laughs> them after the interception, and like. Moonshine Mountain, who, you know, they're, they're big here, but like it's a local small business. They're like, our cookies just got seen by millions, millions. of people across the country. Yep. And it was just one of those things, like this little cookie deal turned into something that brought so much joy to so many different people. The, the, the store, the business owners, the fans loved it. I mean, kids were going crazy. I mean, literally, like when he would get an interception, the whole sideline would be like, cookies, cookies. I mean, everybody like would get so happy about it. And it just made for like a, such a fun NIL deal. And, and, you know, within all the world of collectives and, you know, that whole route of everything, it was really cool to see something that, you know, didn't necessarily make all the headlines in the sense of it was just cash, 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 right? Right. Alante made a nice chunk of change, but it was more, you know, the, the fun aspect of it that, you know, hit all parties and everyone would get so excited when it happened. And, you know, that's what I thought was just so cool about it. And now we have Cedric Tillman doing it this year. He's got to catch, you know, what, two TDs in a two, game? Two TDs, yeah. And so, I mean, I, at this point, it looks like it's just going to roll on, you know, way past my <laughs> he, did, he did that three <laughs> times last year. And, right, right. And, and your offense is maybe better this year. Yeah, so. uh, I think Moonshine is just going to keep, like, bumping up what you got to do, you know, to get the free cookies so they're not just getting wiped out <laughs> and losing cash every single Saturday. <laughs> well, I – when you look around the country and you like the Dakotas Crawford ad at Nebraska was, was the big thing. It was amazing. And you know, I, I think businesses are learning that you don't have to spend the most money. If you make the right deal, we'll help you publicize it. I mean, like, look at that, like it, like an hour after it was posted, it had like 25 million views. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean like they just made their money in an hour right there. And, and yeah. like in that sense, and I've battled this too, like July 1st last year, you know, my company, I paid a couple hundred dollars to a bunch of guys on the team to go out and just like put up a social post just to kind of, you know, be the first to do it. You know, everyone was looking to put something on their social media. My DMs are open for business. Like everyone was posting that stuff July 1 last year. Um, and honestly, like <laughs> my clientele, you know, wasn't going on. Hendon Hooker and Cedric Tillman's Twitter to go, you know, look for a mulch installation. Right. right. But like, it was one of those things that you had the opportunity to do it. And, you know, if you're a fan of Tennessee or you're a fan of Nebraska, like wherever you're a fan of, like they just want to help the student athletes. And how cool is it that you can help them and also, you know, bring them on to help rep your company. And, you know, who knows that that heating and air company, if they'll, you know, turn one more dime off of it, but like, how much brand recognition do they just get because oh, they yeah. had a really cool idea incorporating a player in it, well, right? Apparently, apparently they're, they're already, they've, they've already been booked out because it's August and right. they're an HVAC company. But, Absolutely. But I think that the goodwill that builds probably incredible if, when your AC goes out in two months, you're like, oh, there was that one that the coldest did. I mean, Absolutely. It, it's it's going to work. And Absolutely. So, how, you know, and, and Tennessee has one of the more advanced collectives with Spire, and so you've seen that that in action yeah. as well. How do you think the NIL market is going to shake out as the years go on in terms of how much of it is going to be, you know, 
not exactly upfront, but hey, if you come here, there's a good chance you can make this. Or how much is it going to be? Okay, you come here, and then if you're good, you will get deals. Well, you know, I think it's I think it's really interesting. I think if you talk to a hundred different people, you probably get a hundred different you know answers and directions where they think it would go off them. But if you really look at the marketplace as a whole, and I mean, I, at this rate, you really need to talk about the collectives, right? Because that's yeah. the that's the roster value. That's the you know the amount of cash in your war chest that you can go out and retain players, get them from the portal, you know, recruit all those things. And it's unlike anything we've seen before because it's not capped, right? Right. And it's not employment. And you're basically just betting on, you know, your donors, whether it's, you know, individuals or, or businesses to basically just pump you with cash aside from what they're giving to the institution for, you know, the capital projects and, you know, that whole side of things. And so you can look at it in the sense of, hey, you know, we just went. 10 and two, or we just, you know, play in the SEC championship, won the SEC championship. We got to keep this thing rolling. Let me double down the amount of money I get. Right. Or you say, Hey, we just went, you know, five and seven or two and 10. And we realize that if we want to win games, we got to give even more money. Right. <laughs> yep. Or you take the aspect of, Hey, I just gave a million dollars or, you know, the, you have a bunch of fans that give, $500 a year. Right. And they're like, I mean, we just went two and 10, you know, what a waste of, of freaking money that I just gave to this collective to go out. And, you know, these guys came and go out and win a game. Right. It is so like, it's such a lucrative idea. That's just so cash based, but you know, there's no guarantee on it all unless these collectives are going out and, you know, wanting to get pledge commitments over, mm -hmm. you know, three, five years, but a lot of them aren't. And so, yeah. You know, a, a team could go out, you know, A&M, for example, they could go out and, you know, build a star-studded roster, historic roster for millions and millions and millions of dollars. But, you know, if, if those fans get pissed off at their head coach or something in the program or not happy, you know, how the year went, I mean, you could go from $20 million roster down to, you know, $2 million. And instead of being the headline that you have an historic, you know, five-star stacked up roster coming in. You know, you might not even, you know, crack the top 50 recruiting class next year. Well, and, and, and so, I've, I, I've talked to the people who run the AM collective, and they say the same things as the people who run the other collectives is it, just what you said. This is something that has to be refilled. Yes. And they aren't sure, and nobody's sure that donors are going to be willing to, to refill it. Right. And, and, and honestly, like at a sustainable rate, too, right? I mean, if we're talking about this, honestly, like I'm a big fan, the market's always going to correct itself. Right. Mm -hmm. And so at some point, you know, you're not just going to be able to keep putting, you know, million, millions, 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 and just, it's going to keep rolling on at that rate. Right. It's going to correct itself at some point, but you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, everyone wants to sit there and think that, you know, the, the big time brands, the most valuable athletic programs, the wealthiest donor bases are going to go out and win. But, you know, those fan bases also have the most politics going on behind the scenes, too. Right. Right. And so, you know, where does where is that going to shake out? You know, I'm I've honestly always been curious. I'm like, what if like Harvard and Vanderbilt all got together and were like, man, like, let's go win for once now. Right. Because like, their endowments are so huge. Are compared so to high. I yeah. mean, they could blow everyone out of the water if they gave a rip about football. Right. 
Yeah. So like, and then you, like, there's just so many of these factors that, that play into that question of like, where does this thing go? And in talking with people at, you know, the, the league office and the NCAA, like there's nothing's going to be done on the federal level anytime soon. I mean, right. anytime soon. So, you know, then you start looking at, you know, is something going to be done at the conference level? And I don't think, you know, anyone really wants to go down that route right now because nobody even knows how these conferences are going to shake up in, you know, the next five years. Um, and so it's it's just really interesting to see. You know, obviously, I think that everything's going to correct itself. But, um, you know, I think you're you're going to have to continue to get, you know, pledged commitments you know, from these donors and businesses, which, which by the way, is the model keep... that the schools have been using forever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 but it brings up the question too, is like, you know, if Andy, you're a donor to, you know, Tennessee and you've been given 5 million bucks a year, you know, are you going to say, Hey, I'm only going to give 3 million to the school and I'm going to give 2 million to collective now. Well, or are you going to keep giving your five you and are you I... going to say, I'm going to give an extra two and I'm giving 7 million a year now for, you know, Tennessee athletics yeah. ones, you know, officially related and one's kind of external on the outside looking. Everyone's trying to move in the same direction, right? Yep. But like a lot of these schools are having trouble with like officially endorsing the collective, right? They're mm -hmm. wanting to stay distant. So you have some donors that are, you know, kind of like, hey, you know, <laughs> they're asking for a bunch of money. I really want to go win some games, but like I'm not feeling real comfortable and stable given that chunk of money when I know it's not even, you know, officially endorsed by the institution. Right. And so, I mean, there's just so many different aspects of how these collectives are structured, what they're doing, you know, some are going down the, you know, 501 C three route now. I mean, they're, they're kind of all over the place in the sense of how they're structured and how they, you know, claim to operate. So I will pose that question to you because I'm a sports writer. I'm not going to mm -hmm. be in the position to be donating a, a ton anytime soon, but you are a successful CEO, sir. Uh, you're given the choice 10 years down the road. How are you splitting it up? Are you giving some to the school, some to the, the collective? Are you, are you going to give it all to the school? How do you, how, how would you handle that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you want to take care of the institution and those things will always be important, right? I mean, if you look at the recruiting sense, you're always going to have to have, you know, the, the, you know, biggest and best complex and facility you're always going to need the stadium in hand you're always going to have to have those things because that's what helps you in recruiting but the recruiting world has just turned into you know how much nil cash am i going to get right and so mm -hmm. if you want to if you're a you know a, a donor that wants to go help tennessee win football games and you want to see your institution win you know are you going to go get money to maybe see your roi you know when the stadium gets built 10 years from now or you know the stadium i mean upgrades or the the new complex whatever it is or do you want to go get that five-star transfer out of the portal right now like and your roi is wins not necessarily money. wins yeah that next season potentially yeah. hopefully that's your, that's what you're aiming for and so i think the the biggest thing that you know i would sit there and i think most you know kind of donors are getting the getting the grasp of is that if i give money to a collective right now you know i can see you know, my return on that right away. There's no waiting years down the road. And so I think, I, I mean, honestly, I, you know, I can't predict exactly, you know, what I'll do, but I mean, obviously I want to take care of the school, but honestly, if, you know, if I want to give money to the school, it's because I'm hoping to get wins out of it. Right. And I'm hoping yep. to see the program be successful and the collective is the only way to truly go and do that right away. And in, in, in this era, you know, 
whether it's recruiting, whether it's portal, whether it's retaining guys. And so, you know, I would think that, you know, I'm splitting it up. I don't know half and half, but you know, if, of course I'm going to give my school, but it's not like it's a little bit of money. You got to give these collectives to go out and be successful in this day and age. I mean, they're wanting millions and millions and millions to go out on a yearly basis. So let's talk about football, actual football, because that is, you're still playing. You're on a team that really lit up the scoreboard last year, should be doing some of the same this year, but how different is it now versus, you know, last year when you guys are are, are still learning the offense, they're not sure who's going to play quarterback yet. How, how, how much has changed in that year? I think Tennessee fans, especially and, and fans of college football, um, will appreciate this, but it's, I think it gets looked over a lot. Josh Heupel didn't get hired here until late January, early February. I don't know the exact date, but it was late, right? Yeah. He didn't really have any chance to do any sort of recruiting. No, it was like 10 days until signing day when he got on campus, right? And you realize from that time, you know, you go through February as a a player, you go through February offseason workouts, you know, coaches are still getting hired. Like we didn't, we got our full staff assembled, not even support staff, like your 10 on the field coaches, we added uh, like a few of them uh, like a day or two before spring ball started that last year. And so like, you're still getting your feet wet. You're learning who these guys are. Now you're going out and putting pads on. You're trying to learn this, you know, from the outside, look at this crazy offense that, you know, you think when it's honestly very simple, but like you think it's going to be, you know, complicated. I got to learn this stuff. And so all of last year, I feel like was just kind of a whirlwind in the sense of you're getting to know the coach, you're getting to know, you know, the people in the building, you're trying to learn this offense. You know, we had 70 scholarship players last year. So, I mean, we, we like don't even have a full roster and then you're going out, you know, you're coming off of COVID year, you're all juiced up that the stadium is going to be full again. And, you know, all the pageantry of college football is back and you go out and, you know, the Tennessee team who people didn't expect one thing out of, you know, starts to make some noise and, you know, are, are in some close games with, you know, top five teams in the country. And you go on and, you know, you stack up, uh, you know, some big time wins and go make a bowl game. Well, then, you know, you become, you know, here comes the, the you know, I'm staying for another year. Hendon decides to stay. Cedric decides to stay. Some key defensive guys decide to stay. And you're like, man, we retain a lot of talent, you know, coming into this year. But now there's no having to learn the coach, having to learn the offense. And I've done that three times now. So I know how much that takes you know, time-wise, but also how much just energy that takes out of a, a, a locker room because you're trying to get the dynamic. Then you're like, man, how do I feel about this coach? Where do I stand in his eyes, you know, in terms of playing time and where do I fit in? And all that stuff's taken out now. So you go into off-season workouts with the same, you know, strength and condition guy. You 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 grind it out. You have a full program, spring ball. You, you stack the days on top of each other. And then everyone's all excited and hyped up because, you know, they're ready to go see this Tennessee team, go do the same things they saw last year, but with a hell of a lot more experience, you know, from, you know, the coaches returning, players returning. And, you know, honestly, this is probably the most excited I've been going into a season for a while, just because honestly, Andy, it's the most stability that we've had here in a really long time. We'll be right back after these words. I was just thinking about that because I've never gotten a chance to ask any of the Tennessee players who were on that roster this. What was that period like after Butch got fired 
before Jeremy Pruitt got got hired? What because we we've covered the hell out of yeah. the search itself. What were you guys going through during Andy, all that? It, it was like we, it was when I say it was the guys like on the team. That was it. Like we went through a period where, like, we didn't have a director of ops. Like we didn't have anyone to like guide us. Like we were getting together as a team to meet and just like see each other. Like we had no structure. Like that's when you had AD turnover. That's when you had the chancellor turnover. Like you had all these different things going on. And then we, we see, we're going to get a coach hired. Then he's not coming anymore. And then, you know, we're walking in the building and fans are going crazy outside trying to get the new hire, you know, booted. And it's like, what, what's going on right now? Like we had no, we had no leadership at that time and not even lead. Like we had just zero oversight as a whole. It was seriously the team and that was it. So we were calling our own meetings. We were like going to people in the athletic department, like, Hey, can we go do like a team activity? I remember we went to like Dave and Buster's as a team. And like, we had just gone to the athletic park because we weren't in a bowl game that year. And we were all there in December for finals and stuff. I was like, can we do something as a team? Like I didn't, you know, I, there was a period where it was like, I didn't even feel like I was part of a team anymore. It was just a bunch of guys, you know, deciding, Hey, am I going to stay? Am I going to leave? Who's our coach going to be? You know, what's the future of this whole deal? And um, you know, it was just such a weird ordeal how all that stuff, you know, went down, you know, from the high ups to, you know, chancellor AD, then to your head coach. I mean, it was just such a weird deal because truly you had no idea and you weren't getting any type of insight on what was going on. Truly what you guys were reporting on was the only Intel that we had. So when you guys would push out a tweet, you know, we would send it in our group chat be like, Oh, you know, I guess this is going on. <laughs> It is crazy, and, and and you guys are just sort of at the mercy of all that. There's, yeah, you know, nothing you can really do, and and they're going to tell you eventually who your coach is, and uh, that's it. Th they did, uh, yeah. But I'm uh, I'm I'm just glad for you guys that that the situation is stabilized. It seems like everybody is very much enjoying playing for Josh Heupel. What mm. is it about that staff that that has helped calm things down? Um, you know, a lot of guys on this roster and there's there's a few guys you know like myself that have dated all the way back you know that were butch jones commits and on that roster and have gone through you know that you've seen kind of three different coaching styles now the gr the greatest you know attribute to to josh heifel and what he's built here and you know it makes me so proud to say that i play for him because truly every single day when i walk in that building Although, you know, strapping the pads on and, you know, going through the dog day to training camp, like all the times where it could be really easy to say, you know, man, this sucks. Why am I doing it? like I truly enjoy going into that building? And so do 124 other guys on the roster because they love who they play for. They love their position coaches. They love the culture. It doesn't feel like you're going and playing college football every day. Like it truly feels like it's so cliche, but like you feel at home, like you feel like you could get in the car and go home with your position coach and go eat dinner there and like truly feel at home because, you know, it's not a transactional, just football type environment. You know, you can talk to your coach about anything other than football. I do it all the time. I'll walk up there and just, you know, sit on you know the desk and watch the news with, you know, guys on staff, right. And just get your mind off of football. And that's never been done before. You have guys coming on Saturday mornings you know, probably after they had gone out on Friday night in the off season and, and like wanting to truly go in there and get extra work in and be in the facility. Years prior, you wouldn't find a soul in there 
if it wasn't on the calendar and we had to be in there because it, it was just, it was cold, you know, and, and they didn't feel like they were welcome. They didn't feel like, you know, they wanted to be there and, you know, they're kicking guys out of the building now. I mean, just because they love being there so much. And that's, that's just what coach Heupel has built. And he truly is like the definition of a player's coach. He listens to us, you know, he, he, our opinions are always welcome. He thinks on it. And, you know, someone said it the other day, they're like, a lot of college football programs are, you know, autocratic and run like a dictatorship. You know, it's, it's from the head coach down across the board. Like truly our program is a democracy in the sense of, you know, if we don't like something, you know, head coach's door is always open. You know, if we want something changed from nutrition to, you know, how the, the schedule structured to, you know, how we're doing something in practice. Like he wants to hear that at the end of the day, he's coaching the players, right? They're there to help us make us better men, make us better football players. And if they're not getting anything in terms of how we feel about it or what's working and not working, you know, how do they go and do their jobs better? And, you know, I just think he's a similar, I think you see that a lot. And there's so much turnover in college football staffs these days. And, you know, I think coming in, you know, to what, the 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 shape and you know program looked like from the outside looking in and walking into it from a staff perspective being able to retain you know except losing one guy to go who got a position coaching job in the nfl like retaining a full staff is so rare these days and you saw that happen you know from position coaches to qc's gas because they truly enjoy working there and you know everything about tennessee and trying to get it back to where it's supposed to be so Last question. You are still a CEO of a seven-figure company. You are a college football player. You are working for On3, doing NIL stuff. You are helping your teammates get NIL deals. At what point do you... Oh, oh, oh by the way, you do still take classes. You're getting a master's degree. <laughs> at, at what point do you sleep? Hardly ever. Hardly ever. A, lo a lot of this right here. A lot of coffee. Um, <laughs> well, all right. What's your, what's your order? What's your order? Nitro cold brew. I, I got to get as much caffeine as I can, man. You you and my wife. That's I, I got to pack it in. She keeps the cans in the fridge. Oh gosh. And then if she can escape the office, <laughs> she's going to get one. <laughs> no, but for real, like it's. Uh, I, I feel like I freak out our our you know nutritionist and our uh, our whole sports you know medical staff all the time because like I truly like I want to sleep all the time but like you're, you're like for example in training camp right now like I'm I'm there from 6 a.m to 9 p.m and I come home and I have you know 15 hours worth of stuff that I miss that I'm just trying to get caught up on and I'm I'm dead tired and people are wondering why I'm responding to emails at one in the morning and stuff but like I, I, I like it's just one of the things that it's so unique about how I'm positioned to still be playing and doing all these things but you know, it's, I just, I truly don't have, like, I try to get it in and I, I like to think I don't procrastinate and don't put things off, but you know, it's, it's just the nature of it. And so I, I truly don't get to sleep nearly as, as much, but one more season, hopefully that, that those days of, you know, getting three, four hours of sleep tonight are, are going to be coming to an end here in about four months. Grant Ferking, you are the most interesting walk-on in America. Thank you so uh, much. My man, Andy, always enjoy it, brother. <laughs>